Welcome to Kingdom.Think. Today we're covering 1 Samuel 15, 16, Psalms 127, and Romans 11. And I'm going to actually start with the Old Testament because it's interesting. As we spoke about on um, yesterday on the previous podcast um, episode, we talked about being saved was being like the presence of God in you, upon you, around you, and just the, that blessing. That's the Spirit of God you're in union with the Spirit of God. But then when the Spirit of God is not with you, you're in separation and there is a separation and that that kind of leaves you like an open vessel where a spirit, because remember the spirit realm is just much bigger than this reality. But when God when when God is not residing and filling up that void, that that hole that needs to have a spirit, then that leaves the vessel empty where another spirit can come in. And I'm explaining this because this is what happened to King um, Saul. So remember, Samuel wasn't pleased with him. He's, he's, uh, he's already irritated with Saul because he's like, okay, Saul's getting full of himself as king. And he's just not, he's kind of getting arrogant. He's not focused. He's, um, he's, he has good intentions, but he's getting confused. He's, he's not in right relationship with God. In, in many ways, he's leaning on, he doesn't have a relationship with God personally. It's all through Samuel, number one. Number two, he depends on the acts of the burnt offering. Like he thinks the power is in the, the fire and making the altar, or he thinks it's in the casting of lots, that it's in the act Instead of the power of God, he thinks it's in the things. Okay, so hope that makes sense. Um, and that's what happens in chapter 16. No, no, no. I'm sorry. Chapter 15, where um, the Lord tells Samuel to tell Saul to go in and destroy the um, Amalekites. Amalekites. Yes. Am- Am- that one. <laughs> it's a tribe that was, they're brutal. They're like a gang. And yeah, they're, they, they are just a very evil people. And, um, I think they were like attack, they were like attackers and, and they intimidators and they prey on weaker tribes. So he says, we need to destroy them because you'll never have peace with them there. So he said, but I, when you go in there, I want you to destroy everything don't leave any remnants of anything, nothing, not the people, not the cattle. And he was very clear. I want them all gone. They need to be eradicated Um, to the women, the children, the infants, the cattle, the sheep, the camels, and the donkeys. He's very clear. Again, if you read the Bible out of context, you might say, well, that's terrible. Why would you kill the women and the children? Because the infection, the culture, the culture has gotten so deep that these even the women and the children, it's already in their DNA. It's in their culture. So they have to be destroyed. And that's what I mean about some of the culture, the things that we have here in this day and age. Um, say the, the concept of transgenderism, for example, that's so, it's, it's so perverse. It doesn't even make sense. But once it's planted, it's a seed that's planted in our culture. And then the next generations will start to 
um, compromise even a little bit more and we'll start to believe that it's okay, it's okay. Well, yeah, it kind of makes sense. And eventually, generation after generation, it'll be passed down, passed down, and each generation will become a little bit more complacent, a little bit more accepting until it becomes the belief, the culture, mainstream. And that's what happened to these guys. So that everything had to be destroyed including the cattle and the sheep and the donkeys. Well, when Saul went in, yes, God was with them. They destroyed all the people. But Saul took the king, Agag is his name, and he kept him maybe as a sport. I don't know, but he had him chained up. And he, he allowed the men to take some plunder and some cattle and some sheep. Well, when Samuel saw that, or actually God told Samuel. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and he has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was so angry and he cried all night long. And then he went to go find Saul in the morning. Well, Saul wasn't there. The people said, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor. Okay, so he's becoming arrogant, as you can see, which doesn't that hap happen so often when someone is becomes a leader or a celebrity and they're just, let's say, a singer and they usually got their singing skills in the church um, and then they, they go out into the, they're praised and they're honored and they're glorified and they think it's all themselves and they forget that it was really God's blessings and they become arrogant and usually destroy themselves. So Saul goes to find Samuel. Oh, I keep mixing those names. Samuel goes to find Saul and tells him what the Lord has said. But in Saul's mind, he's justifying everything that he's doing. He's like twisting it saying, see, I, I saved the cattle so we can make a sacrifice to God. In his mind, he's believing his own lies to himself. So as Samuel goes and tells him, everything that he did wrong. You weren't supposed to do that. You were supposed to destroy everything. But I did all this for God. Um, but Samuel replies, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying in the Lord? Oh, that's what Samuel replied to Saul. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. And on, um, okay, for the rebellion is like the sin in divina of divination, and arrogance is like the evil of idolatry. Saul is becoming arrogant. He's being disobedient. Um, he's being rebellious. And the other thing is, because one could say, well, shouldn't he have been forgiven? Saul is a leader. There's a responsibility when you're a leader. So, um, and he was, he was, he had Samuel, his technically his his own pallbearer. Um, Let's see. Now Saul understands. Um, because the Lord rejected the word of the because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. So now Saul, Samuel is really telling Saul, like, you did all these things wrong. You were disobedient and arrogant, and um, so God is going to leave you. Here comes the separation. That's why it was so important for me to explain that. So now God's presence is not on Saul. There is a division, a separation. There's, his spirit has left Saul. So Saul now has no peace, no victory, no clarity, um, no direction. And he's got this agitation inside of him, this disturbance. 
Um, and so that leads us into chapter 16, where um, he has this, this spirit that's upon him. Because if God's spirit has left him, that leaves him open to any kind of evil spirit, the spirit of stress, of, of anguish, of fear, of um, anxiousness, anxiety, depression, evil thoughts, maybe bad dreams. There's no peace in his spirit because God has left him. Instead, it's filled with an evil spirit. And that's the importance of being in the word every single day, um, praying, of, of being saved and, and having Jesus the spirit of God in you. Um, and then just, um, living out that peace. It doesn't mean that you won't have these feelings inside of you, this, this turmoil, this, um, conflict of the spirit of anguish, anxiety, stress, but usually, not usually, always those come from something outside of ourselves, our culture, the, 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 the stresses of life that we allow to take over, just like Saul did. The things of the world allow us to disturb our spirit, just like Saul did. But what's great is Saul couldn't say, okay, okay, I'm sorry, God, come back to me. He couldn't do that. But because Jesus came onto the scene in the New Testament, died on the cross, we are allowed now, we don't need Samuel to tell us what God said. Now we have a direct access because of Jesus to God. So because of Jesus, we're then that him dying on the cross, we're able to, even though we don't feel like we have him in our spirit, even though we did bad things or whatever, and or an evil spirit is upon us, we can re- have that spirit removed, but something has to replace it. You can't be an empty vessel. And then you can have the spirit of Jesus in you. And that's where peace comes from. Saul didn't have that opportunity. So instead he needed someone to play the, the lyre. And he found out that David this young kid, this shepherd boy from uh, who was a son of Jesse, was able to do that. So he inquired of David to come and play the lyre for him. And every time that David played, the spirits, the evil spirits just left Saul and he was able to rest peacefully. Oh my goodness. I hope you see the correlation. Even though this is an old story, I hope you can see the correlation of even what we experience today and the whole spirit realm. The only difference is, Saul didn't have the opportunity because Jesus had not come on the scene. So Saul couldn't do what we can do, where we can tell these evil spirits, the spirit of fear, the spirit of anger, the spirit of loneliness. We can tell those spirits to leave. And then we can say, Jesus, reside in me and bring me peace and joy and love. Oh, so good. Such a beautiful thing. Okay, moving on to Psalms 127. This chapter isn't very long, so I'm going to go ahead and read it. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiled for food to eat, for for he grants sleep to those he loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with the, their opponents in court. Um, I love this part right here. Unless the Lord builds this house. So what's this house? It's not just your physical house. It's like your, your physical body. It's your mind. It's your spirit. It's your environment. And then it's your where you reside. And then it's where you spend your time, what you do 
in your life and then it's your community and then it's your city. And so where, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. It's so good. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. So in other words, we're kind of like, um, unless God is in it, if you can think back, well, remember like Saul, unless God was in the the victory or, or in the battle, it was kind of, sometimes you win, sometimes you don't, it's kind of in vain. But when God is with it, um, it's much greater than you could ever imagine. Sometimes when God, this often happens in, in my life, sometimes things unfold and I'm like, oh my goodness, things just in an awesome way um, evolved. How does that happen? And I often think like God is the great orchestrator. Or sometimes I say, man, I just have to sit back. And then God designs everything. That's what it's like when God is in um, in the midst or you let God take control. And then I love, oh, in no, no, I don't love this part, but let me just say it. In vain, you rise early and stay up late and toiling over food. What does this basically mean? I interpret this as like, in vain, we're pursuing this path of success, whatever success looks like, but we're doing it in vain if God is not in it. So we we get up early because we're going to be so disciplined with our morning routine. And, um, you know, we're just look at me, I get up early and I go work out and I do all these things and I'm so focused. And then and look at me, I'm staying up late because I'm working so hard to do what? To toiling over food to eat basically our wealth because I'm going to be successful I'm going to make lots of money so look at me but in reality if God is not in it then it is also in vain what does that mean yeah you might have the money you might have successful success but you won't have peace you won't have um, the spirit of joy or peace um, or some of the blessings that you could have and it might look like you are happy and peaceful but you're lacking the blessings that you could have had if God was in it. And what does that look like? Then you go on to the next chapter. It says, children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. So if if you have never had children before and you've never had the opportunity to like hold your own child, it's it's undescribable. It's indescribable. And yes, even though children might stress you out or you might, you, it's like going to take you to every extreme emotion. You know, you're holding this baby you, to the extreme love you've ever felt is holding your own child. To the extreme fear of their future, that's what's like having a child. To the anger, if somebody hurts them, that's <laughs> what it's like having your own child. Um, so, and it, you might think, well, I never want to experience that. Imagine not experiencing uh, the extreme love, extreme emotions. That's what living is. <clears throat> and he's saying children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him, like arrows in the hands of a warrior. That's how fierce you become when you have your own child. So if you have had children, you know what I mean. Um, and then if you've never had children, then I'm trying to explain to you that it is something, it's out of this world. The intense emotions, it's out of this world. Um, 
blessed is the man. Okay. So anyways, short chapter and I am going on and on. And moving on to Romans 11. Now in, in Romans chapter 11, they're having a conversation. So he's talking to the people. This is Paul. He's talking to the people, but they're having a conversation about the Israelites because he's saying, um, remember in chapter 10, he was saying that these people are going to be able to believe and you've never seen. So then they're, they're saying, well, what about the Israelites? What, what happened to them? He said their hearts were hardened and they turned to Baal in many ways. And so he's telling them and explaining them. And he's saying, so did God reject his people? By no means. I'm an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what the scripture says in the passage? Okay, so um, so, so much history we haven't hit yet in the Old Testament. And he's relating it to it here. So if there's things that you don't connect yet, you will once you go through the Old Testament. Because here he's talking about Elijah and then often they talk about the Bab- exile of Babylon. Um, moving down, and if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. So, oh, this is chapter verse five. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it can not be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. So planting the foundation of the philosophy of grace. Um, But he's also explaining that there were consequences and cause and effect. So you, you see what I mean? How important reading the whole Bible is? Because now you can think back and go, yep, God kept showing up for the Israelites. God kept making himself available. He kept explaining. Moses kept saying, guys, don't worship idols. Guys, make God first. And they just kept wandering away and um, disobeying. But now we read the New Testament as Paul is explaining about the Israelites and how they were um, turning away from God, worshiping idols, that kind of thing. Because of that, and it's possibly, Paul says, in part, possibly, because of their transgressions, salvation has came to the Gentiles to make to make Israel envious. Well, wait a minute. Why would we make Israel envious? Um, and the Gentiles is anyone else who's not an Israelite. So why would the Israelites be envious? What happens when you're envious? Sometimes you're just like in your own arrogant ways. Look at me taking things for granted. This happens in relationships all the time. You know, when we're taking our, our spouse, our partner, our spouse for granted Oftentimes we neglect them or whatever. We don't, we're not focusing on that relationship. And then all of a sudden you see someone else was flirting with them or um, you see your, your spouse putting the attention into something else. Those are the two options. Or maybe they're, maybe they're focused more on work. Maybe they're focused more on their coworker. Maybe they're having, befriending someone at work. All of a sudden, what do you feel? this jealousy, this enviousness. Are you going to flip out and get angry? Or are you going to say, whoa, are you going to wake up to the reality that you've been taking it for granted? You might say, oh my gosh, I've been taking my, my partner for granted. Let's spend some time together. Let me give that person attention again. Let me change my focus from my own self to, to this person. That's what enviousness does. 
enviousness doesn't always turn to anger or fights. It's not always that, but it's more of a wake up. Okay. So, um, so because of their, their, their transgressions, um, in part, I think God, obviously God had a plan for Jesus to come on the scene anyway, for everything to unfold the way it unfolded. Um, probably for us for this current day, because imagine if all this didn't unfold and we weren't able to read the Bible and see, maybe it would have been different for us. Yep, yep, yep. Um, and then, oh my goodness, so good, so good. Ah, so many good things. Okay, so you do not... Oh my goodness. Okay, consider therefore the kindness and the sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Now, this is where people start to think, so what are we supposed to do? Just walk around and, oh, I have to be obedient. I have to obey, obey. This is where they're trying to turn the Bible into as if being a Christian was just do's and don'ts, as if God was a God in the sky pointing down and ready to strike people for, for doing wrong. Or once you do wrong, you have to stay in shame. That's so not true. That's so not true. And if you read the Bible and you take it in bits and pieces, digest it in bits and pieces, you'll see that. Um, because what it's really like, imagine if you do, a, imagine if you have a child and that child, you put boundaries when they're young. You um, don't let them cross the street and you're super careful what they watch on TV and you put boundaries. But as they grow and mature, you give them more freedoms and more and more freedoms. But your relationship is still really great with them and you love them so much. Um, but you want them to be obedient because not because you're a cruel parent, but because you know it's in the best interest so that they can have the rewards of being an adult with without shame and guilt and they'll be blessed. And so that's what it's really like. Christianity isn't about all the do's and don'ts. You can't do this and you can't do that. These things that God put in the Old Testament of how to live is so that we can live with and experience all these blessings instead of disobeying because everything is cause and effect, consequences, cause and effect. God didn't say, I'm going to strike someone down. He's saying, look, there's something called gravity. And if you jump off of a building, gravity, the law of gravity is going to take effect. I'm telling you it's there. So don't jump off a building. That's what it's like. And so God's trying to like, okay, I put the wall, the boundary here so you don't fall off the building. Okay, you know what? Just don't get close to the edge. That's what it's like. Not Christianity isn't all about don't do this because you're bad. It's simply I want you to have abundance and joy and live such an awesome life. Oh my goodness, I did it again. I did another long podcast. First Samuel fifteen sixteen Psalms one twenty seven Romans Romans eleven. It was such a good one. And I didn't even get through everything in Romans 11. So I suggest you go read it, enjoy it, and have fun. Make it a great day, everyone.